When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have reached that point of the fall college tennis season, folks. The ITA National Fall Championships are upon us. The final major fall event of the 2021 college tennis season. And joining me on today's podcast to help preview all of the action is a now returning champion here on our Crack Rackets shows. Of course, you may know him as a Crack Rackets contributor as the writer of the No Ad, No Problem uh, blog. I say potato. He says potato. You know him as John Parsons. John, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Always feels good to get that returning champion title. I've been waiting for that one. (laughs) I'm just moving on up here uh, in the Cracked Rackets HQ. So I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Anyone who's willing to come on a third time, you must really be willing to tolerate my nonsense. So I am greatly appreciative. (laughs) I have a high pain tolerance. Yeah, that's what I'm starting to figure out here. But of course, the ITA National Fall Championships, a relatively new event. This used to be the National Indoor Championships. They then moved this event towards... Uh, in that same calendar location, excuse me, but they moved the event outdoors. They moved it onto the West Coast. It's been an exciting event over the past few seasons, and something we are extraordinarily excited about here at Crack Rackets is the fact that we're going to get to broadcast all of the action. You can follow coverage of the event from first ball to last over on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We will be providing what we call our red zone coverage, hopping from court to court throughout the day, covering the men's action, covering the women's action, singles, doubles, front draw, back draw, you name it. We'll be broadcasting it on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. A couple of long days ahead, certainly. And a shout out in advance to super producer Daniel Westhoff. I know the f- job he's going to have over the next few days. I had to do the producing of the live stream for Damian Koost and uh, David Gertler this past weekend for their challenger action. And I was like, oh my God, Westhoff, I'm so appreciative that you do this every time and that I don't have to. And so a shout out to him in advance, a shout out to Dan Johnson, Tim Russell, the ITA team for allowing us this opportunity. Obviously, we're extraordinarily excited to be able to highlight some so many of the top collegiate athletes across the country as they do participate in what is the final major event of the fall calendar. That's a lot of talking. I know I do apologize for that fact, Jay. I'm going to let you get a word in at some point. Before I do, though, one last piece of maintenance I have to cover here at Cracked Rackets, and that's the fact, notably, a couple of people are missing from this podcast. Matt Stokowiak, Chris Halioris, both busy this week with various things in their real-world life. For Chris, as a matter of fact, it's his birthday. And look, do I like Chris? And I know I tweeted this out earlier. Absolutely not. Do I respect his opinion? Hell no, dude. Do I think he's funny? Trust me, he is not funny. 
Is he one of my closest friends that I've made since college? One of my closest friends, period, at this point? Absolutely. So happy birthday to the professor without whom much of our Crack Rackets content would not be possible. Westoff, cue the happy birthday sound effect for us, please. All of that said... That's the only love those two are going to get. I've moved on from them. I've told them as much. I'm like, college uh, holy trinity out. College dynamic duo in. And it's me and it's UJ. And what would this dynamic duo is going to be doing today? Again, previewing the ITA Fall National Championships. We're going to talk singles. We're going to talk doubles. We're going to answer four questions for each of the draws. We're going to talk about the most exciting first-round matchups. We're going to talk about the seeds on upset alert, the dark horses in each draw. And then, of course, it wouldn't be a draw preview if we didn't offer some predictions. So we'll do that as well. But before we get into any of that, let's go back and again, talk about this ITA Fall National event because it is one of the newest ones on the ITA calendar. I believe they started this event, and I'm going to look up the exact date now as I'm talking, but I want to say 2017 was the first year that they held this event. You look back, that event uh, was won in singles on the men's side by Nuno Borges, obviously of Mississippi State. I believe, yeah, he beat Michael Redlicky in the final of that one. It was won by Petros Risokos. The next year, you got Ito in 2019 on the win inside fascinating champions over the past uh, three years you look Andre Lazaro 2017 out of FIU you then had you know again Jokic sort of putting her foot and establishing herself at the top of the game she goes on to rip off an incredible 2019 season that was the year Georgia Stanford UNC all one loss essentially heading into the NCAA championships and Jokic I think was an NCAA finalist uh, that season as well you look 2019 it was the start of the goat ship Sarah Dava Vitella extending her excellence into the fall individual calendar. Again, it's been a really fun event thus far, and I'm curious for, and you know, I, this is also the byproduct of the ITA regional uh, event track, where of course there are various regionals hosted across the country, the winners, finalists of those regionals, all earning berths into this event here this weekend. Your thoughts on the ITA National Fall Championships? I'll say this. It's a lot easier to say ITA Fall National Championships. If we could get a branding redo, you know I love you, Dan Johnson, but National Fall Championships just doesn't flow off the tongue as easily. Every time I say it, I have to correct myself. It would just be easier to say ITA Fall National Championships. That's the most minute thing, and that's my only criticism. What say you? Um, so first off, happy birthday to Chris. Uh, before we move <laughs> I'm glad on. you stuck I, that in. I don't want to uh, bypass that. Um, so I will say this. I think one of the things that this tournament does really well is the structure. You mentioned the advancement from regional to nationals. I think that's something that's missing within the fall tournament chaos. Um, the fall schedule is pretty much a grab bag. And even for people like us who are trying to follow it as closely as possible, all of a sudden it's like, XYZ Invitational, Collegiate Championship Invitational over here. It's really difficult to follow. And so the structure of, you you know, two people advance from your regional finalists, you make it to this, um, I think is one thing that the ITA does really well here. And I actually think they could extend that to something broader. It'd be great if the entire fall season led up to kind of the, the, the pinnacle tournament. So I really like that aspect of it. It feels a lot easier to digest and follow for the more casual fan, particularly giving weight to the regional tournaments, which I think can get underlooked. Um, so that part of it, I really enjoy. Um, 
The downside of it is we need to figure out a way to keep the top collegiate players invested in the fall. And I think that's a through line of both All-Americans and also this tournament as well. You know, no men from the top 10 playing in this event. And it's something that by kind of having this regional requirement, um, you see a lot of guys who don't play that and therefore aren't able to qualify. So um, on one end, I, I really like the structure. I think it, it makes sense. It's easy to follow. But on the flip side, makes it a little bit more, the, the bar a little higher for your kind of more in and out uh, top players during the fall season to qualify. Quick correction. Westoff, give me the correction sound effect. There was a 2020 event held. It was just only singles, and it was held in Orlando uh, at the campus in Lake Nona, and so that uh, was why it didn't pop off at the meet, at the top of the head. There was a singles event held last season, I believe. It was one. Was it DeCamps for UCF? Won it on the men's side, or it was that an all right, or maybe yeah. it was Hildebrand, or it was an all UCF final. If memory serves me correctly, I don't I, remember who won I think it. On it was the Alexa side. Graham on the women's yeah. side, right? sure it, i believe it she won she was everything she was at least in the final yeah exactly um, but you're so right it was the all americans that was canceled yeah um, we had no tw- all americans 2020 this was the one that they snuck in mm-hmm. uh, and and on, so under the radar but to get well snuck yeah exactly hey great shot to you um two things a just quickly how do you qualify for this event generally it's a 64 size draw you have the 24 regional finalists from across the country again 12 regionals held all you make the finals you win the event you get into it uh you also have you know back in the day it was when they do the 64 size draw this was 2019 you would have eight ita all-american quarter finalists i believe they just went with the semi-finalists this year if memory serves me correct it's a 32 size draw yeah exactly and then a couple of wild cards thrown into the mix as well uh obviously it makes sense given as you mentioned not all of the top players will play every fall event throughout the course of the fall season And that does get back to your point, and I do want to talk about that because I think that's interesting, and I was joking around. I don't remember if it was with Chris or with you before the podcast. I think it was with Chris when I was talking to him on his birthday here, and I was saying the uh, Fayetteville 15K this week, it might as well just be a Baylor scrimmage because literally the entire Baylor roster, excluding maybe Sven La, who's in the draw here in San Diego, and Finn Bass as well, uh, is down there competing, and you know, there are a bunch of other players, Alexander Rico of uh, Arkansas, who's had a fantastic fall. He's down there competing. Duarte Valle of Florida, he's down there competing as well. Uh, as you mentioned, there are plenty of players who elected to play. Uh, Liam Draxel, that's another one. Guys who yeah. went to play there. I'm sure Kingsley's in the draw. There's no way he's he, He's in Ithaca. Yeah. So oh, excuse me. Yes. Exactly. So here's, a, here's a stat for you. Top 10 men in Fayetteville, five. <laughs> top, 10, top 10 men in San Diego, zero. So... Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think you are insinuating it is not the best thing. I don't, I don't I want to insinuate that you saying it's a bad thing. I think it's fine because we say it all the time here on these podcasts and we celebrate the fact of what is it, 11 men right now in the ATP Top 100 with college tennis ties. And, you know, it's four right now on the women's side, but certainly we've seen plenty of successful players make that transition as well. If college tennis is a pathway to the pros, the best in college tennis have to have opportunities to play pro circuit events. And quite frankly, you'd rather have them do it in the individual portion of the season than the team portion of the season when you're so reliant upon them to contribute to their, your lineup and to help you earn victories as a team. And if that's the sacrifice we have to make, I don't love it. You're right. It, it would be great if we could find a better way to schedule this or a better way to incentivize players playing 
But uh, everything could be better. I do think this is the best, you know, scenario of the situation because you have to give the top players an opportunity to go play pros. Otherwise, it's not worth it for them to, you know, spend four years in college. Otherwise, you are going to get more ones and duns, twos and duns. And if we, I'd rather have four dual match seasons and only one fall than, you know, just one fall, one dual match, and then you're done. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's I, right. I, and I didn't mean to insinuate you were. I think it's just an evolution that things like ITA rankings haven't quite caught up with. Sure. Um, and, you know, the the importance of the fall season, I think, is changing. I um, mean, some of those guys you mentioned, right, aren't even eligible for this tournament because they're just straight up not enrolled in their university this fall. Um, so, I mean, look, I want to find as many opportunities for these guys and women um, to get as many pro opportunities as possible. It would just be nice to see the ITA try and find more ways to incentivize them to play. I think there could be stronger partnership opportunities with some big pro events, right? Um, where these sorts of events kind of lead to to wild cards and have a stronger incentive structure. I would like to think that there are two ITA majors in the fall season that assuming you're enrolled in school, there's enough of an incentive to play those over a 15K um for the two weeks of the of the fall season it's an interesting debate i don't think there's an exact correct answer because it would i I agree in the ideal world maybe you know again playing when oracle was involved in the event you could say an oracle had the challenger series and i know there was an absolutely a tie-in to hey you won our oracle national fall championships guess what you're going to get some wild cards into our oracle challengers if you would like unfortunately that avenue is no longer open and obviously that's a devastating development for all of us tennis fans at the same time Ithaca, you know, Cornell, obviously, home of, uh, Ithaca is the home of Cornell and obviously Fayetteville, home of University of Arkansas this week. Um, The fact that we have ITF 15K events on college campuses, that's a victory in itself. That's something we've been clamoring for for years. And again, it's a byproduct of that fact. Now that these playing opportunities are more easily available for so many different schools, Baylor can afford to send five players to the University of Arkansas much more easily, realistically, than they can send five players to San Diego. It's not an unreasonable trade-off, and I disagree. I think, especially for those who want to make the big pro jump, like let's say Rinki Hijikata, the reason he doesn't have to come back to school is because he has killed it these past five months and he has put himself in a position to now explore the opportunity to turn pro and ultimately that's the goal for a guy like Rinky and I think long term for him it is better for him to have these competitive playing opportunities on tour right now than it would be for him to go play an ITA fall individual event and I think that's always going to be the case because that's always the built-in incentive structure short of offering U.S. Open wildcards because, of course, that and that's a different ballgame. But to ask the U.S. Open to offer three college wildcards, that's a stretch too far. That's just never going to happen. And so, again, I probably lean on the side of, you know, I'm asking all these college coaches in our Power 5 interviews, NCAA uh, individuals, should it be in the fall, should it be in the spring? And if, if the entire individual season is played out in the fall, including NCAA tournaments, now it's a different discussion. Now I think you should have to play the first two events to be eligible to play for the third. But unless that's the format, I think this is, it. Like, this is the happy medium we have to accept because we still have plenty of good players in the field. But you, you're right, it does, you know, it does suck because we don't have the top 10 guys and there are plenty of top 10 women missing as well.
Yeah, I think final point on this, I think the really the 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 reason it matters most to me is because of the ITA rankings. Okay. And the we have not evolved from a ranking perspective for this notion of the top players just completely skip the fall season and come into dual play with zero points, right? We're going to enter into the fall season where most of those top 10 guys have played zero uh, college tennis matches and their ranking will be unranked. Mm -hmm. And the, the thought of them climbing back up, we're going to be in another situation where some of these guys, especially if they miss some dual matches against programs because of like pro tournaments, we're going to be in a pickle and those guys might not be ranked as high as they need to be to get into NCAAs. That's entirely what it comes down to, which is why I think this idea that the ITA is moving towards UTR for seeding is very interesting and something that we should discuss during this pod. Well, Jay, that's hand in a glove stuff there right now because you have segued us perfectly into our next topic. And that is to help us start getting into this field here at the ITA event uh, over the course of the weekend is let's start with the seedings. Did they get the seeds right? And what was so fascinating, and obviously this is a stat I got from you in our uh, you know conversations prior to starting this podcast, is how UTR-based the seeds are here. And of course, as you mentioned, it's draws of 32 for both the men and the women in doubles. You look uh, at the seeding that they ended up having in each event. All but one exception on the women's side. It was straight UTR. You look at it, top eight seeds for the men are just the top eight UTRs. Top eight seeds for the women, seven of the top eight UTRs, uh, one exception. We'll get into her uh, in a second, I am sure. You okay with these seeds? You look up and down the field, you think they got it right? Yeah, I think they actually vary by by gender. And I, I mean, I actually think that exception probably was not intended to be an exception. We can chat about that later. Um, but you look at the top eight seeds on the men's side, it feels de- it feels decently right. Like I would probably take the seeds against the field in this case in terms of who's winning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's the same on the women's side. The women feels a little bit more all over the place. You look at two examples, um, Irina Kanto-Seemers and Natasha Subash of UBA. Of UVA. Um, they're both in the ITA top 10, but they're not ranked at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so the women's feel a little bit maybe not quite... Um, as if I were to see these myself, one through eight, where would I land? Um, there's a few outliers, whereas the men feel a little bit on the nose. Um, and yeah, I don't really have any uh, too much issues with the, with the men's side. I think the two things you call on the men's side is Aguilar and um, Finn Reynolds are two of the three highest ITA ranked guys, uh, and they're next up on the UTR list. So those are guys you might flag as maybe they should be a top eight seed, um, but otherwise feels okay. What do you think? You mentioned it already, Jay. We don't have any of the top 10 men on in the men's singles field. As such, you look at the seeds, they were always going to feel a bit funky. And I think when you look up and down the list, the only guys who I think you just you had to seed regardless of order, August Holmgren, whether it was his success on the ATP Tour or what he was able to do at the ITA All-American, I think we know he's going to be one of the guys at this event. And so to see him as the number three seed, I think that makes sense. Dostonic at the number four seed. We'll talk about my thoughts on his performance here. I think he's got a great draw to do some serious damage at this event. You know, the rest, pick a name out of a hat. How real was Chittick's run for Washington at the ITA All-American and his run through the regionals as well? Obviously, he's earned that number one seed, but it'll be fascinating because, you know, if it's the field versus the number one seed, you probably take the field 
at this point. You look at a guy like J.J. Tracy. He's been that good throughout this fall. The question is, is this you know indicative of a sophomore jump? Are we about to see him force himself into that top three conversation of the lineup, pushing the Kingsleeps, pushing the Votesels, pushing the Van Embergs? I kind of like that he's got that number eight seed next to his name, the opportunity to prove himself. But, you know, again, who are you going to seed over Votzel? Who are you going to seed over Diallo? Arthur Ferry at two is a little extreme. Obviously, he's had plenty of pro success, and I get by the UTR uh, why he has this number next to his name. And again, I don't hate it. Like, I have no issues with him being seeded. I agree. I think on the men's side, what is there? I don't think there's anything to complain about. Right. It feels so, like the group of seats are, are right. Yeah. Order you could maybe pick it, you know, nitpick, but Absolutely. overall fine. I kind of love the women's seed. I'm going to disagree with you here. I Do I think you could switch Alexa Noel at number six and Lisa Zar at number four? Sure. Do I think you could switch Alexa Noel at number six with Dario Freeman of Princeton at number two? Sure. But I kind of like, I mean, I would go Subash over Freeman probably as a seed just because Natasha Subash is such a proven quality in uh, and quantity in college t- tennis, so college tennis, college tennis, hey, great shot, college tennis over these past few uh, years. But like Forbes has earned that number one seed. Cayetano was that good at the ITA All-Americans. You have to give Sarah Hamner a top four seed with her run through qualifying and into the, uh, to the title at the ITA All-Americans. There are plenty of fascinating matchups and, like, you know my thoughts on Kylie Collins. I think she's in for a big sophomore season, and we'll talk about Collins-Ewing first-round matchup. Hello. Um, but I don't know. I like. I kind of like the incorporation of UTR. I think they got these right. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. I would say that the next up on the UTR for the women feel like the ones that should be seated in terms of Kanto, Siemer, Subash, and Ewing. Mm-hmm. Potentially over, you know, Czar, Snowhan from USC and Ayana Ackley. Um That feels like, uh, that, that feels right to me. Um, so. No, I, but overall, a, I think yeah, again, it, it's a fun field. And I, I think up and down the board, plenty of fun first round matchups, plenty of excitement for us to enjoy on our stream over the course of the next four days. And, you know, again, what we want to do from here on in is talk about each of the draws we are going to see unfold over the next few days. Before see, we do that, though, I was going to say, I see something on the tip of your I, tongue. I have to just call out, I think they messed up with Fiona Crawley. Ooh, unseated? She's unseated. She has a higher UTR than Ayana Ockley for the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. She, and she beat her in head-to-head last week. So if I was Coach Calvist, I'd be shooting the ITA note just asking how this exactly played out. Yeah, that's a fascinating section too. Crawley, Ma, and Snowhan all in a little quartet there in that section of the draw. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, you get one. I agree with you. I think Fiona Crawley, my take is that she plays number one singles here this season, and we'll get to that in our College Contender Series later on here over the next few months. But again, what we want to do on this podcast preview each of the draws we're going to see unfold over the next few days and again we're going to be answering four questions per section we're going to be talking about most interesting first round matchups we're going to be talking about the seeds we have on upset alert we're going to be talking about the dark horses we think can do some serious damage over the next four days and then of course we're going to offer some predictions at the end as well let's start with the women's singles competition you look up and down the board here again 
a couple I would say there are fewer absences in this field certainly than there are on the men's side yes there's no Emma Navarro you're defending NCAA champion but I do love we get the return of so many of the Stanford stars we get to see the Yepifanova debut we get to see Connie Ma on the court yep. as well and you know again Cam Mora UNC she's playing this event we get a Kylie Collins appearance we f- it does feel like this women's field, yes, we're missing Navarro, and we still don't know if Navarro's going back or not, but I, I like the composition of this field. Let's start there. Your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, the quantitatively, right, there it's a it's a higher ranked field, um, less, you know, absences. And it just feels that way too. And I would also say that from a first round match match stand up standpoint, we can get to this on the men, but there are a lot of juicy matches on the women's side in the first round um, more so I would say than, than the men. And I think it, you go up and down the straw. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, so Can to you dive remind in, me quickly who else is missing other than Navarro? Okay. This is off the top of my head, um, <laughs> but uh, Kessler is still missing. You're right. yep. is still missing. Um, those two stand out. Uh, but Sue that's Hodgson. it, right? Like that; those are the big three: Navarro, Stearns, and Kessler. That's the one that I was forgetting. Other than that, yep. it does feel like I mean, we have Forbes. No, Alicia Bolton. I guess that's a little. She, I think, yep. is one of the thirty-two best singles player in the field. But I guess UCLA got their one, and so you could understand that. Yep, she's missing. I mean, I. That's really like we have a, a solid, you know, a star-studded field here, and again, we get to see the Stanford players. And you're right. With that in mind, let's get into these first-round matchups because you're right. Of the four draws, this is clearly the juiciest. I only have two must-see on the men's side. I'm gonna let you go first because I don't want to play spoiler here. I don't want to ruin your <laughs> list. Give me your first-round matchups you must watch. So I'm gonna go cheat and go USC versus Stanford. Right. Yeah, just have, period. Yeah. yeah, period. I sent that tweet out earlier today. I mean, Aaron Cayetano, who has been on fire both through the summer and the fall versus freshman um, Yepa Finova at Stanford. Uh, you know, we had we hadn't seen Stanford play until this until this regional. Both her and freshman Connie Ma, um, and they made make the finals. Right, mm-hmm. and Connie Ma beats Yepa Finova in the final. Really good tournament from. Ma, obviously. I mean, she lost on average like three and a half games over like seven matches. She was totally dominant. And Yepifanova had struggled in some of the like early fall non-college events, um, particularly in, in, a, in a in a money event they played in San Francisco. So to see her come through was really promising. And we also haven't seen much of Snow Han at USC. So this is three players that we really haven't seen much of. Cayetano has really come on strong. Those are, are two matches that we could see a few times this year, actually. Um, so those are absolutely one to circle. Mm-hmm. Just worth reminding everyone, Cayetano, semifinalist at the ITA All-Americans, Selma Ewing of USC, quarterfinalist at the ITA All-Americans. The one I think you left off the, the list for USC, and obviously she's not playing a Stanford foe, but she's taking on t- Kylie Collins of Texas. Ewing Collins is yep. my first-round matchup I will be watching most closely. I can promise you at least 30 minutes on our Red Zone stream. But, you know, to your point, it is fascinating because now that Stanford's lost a Pac-12 title, it just feels like things are open. And USC making the round of 16 last year was one of the feel-good stories of the NCAA tournament. And UCLA, had there been a 2020 uh, NCAA tournament, would have made the finals. They would have played UNC for the national championship because those two teams were on a collision course. And I feel—this is such a random aside— 
But do we give Graham, Davitella, McKenna Jones, should we just award them the 2020 NCAA title? Because I was at that national indoors, and I'm just telling you, they weren't losing to anyone. Like, North Carolina was winning the NCAA title in 2020. They were so much better in the field, hands down, that year than everyone else. Like, Pepperdine and Texas made up the gap so much in 2021, even though UNC didn't lose anyone. And it's just like, anyways, that's that's an aside. I'd award it to them. But didn't you feel that way in the early days of the 2021 season as well? No, because I was at the National Indoors. And, like, the worst thing that could have happened for UNC is to beat Texas in that fashion. It would have actually just been better to lose that match. Because at least if you lose it, you no longer feel invincible. To be, uh, you know, down 3-1, to have the comeback that they had, and to have... Uh, obviously at number four singles, Elizabeth Scotty do what she did against Charlotte Shavatapan, come back from a set and break deficits, uh, deficit. Uh, but 2020, like at that national indoors, I can't emphasize enough. It was so, and you could tell NC State was very good and they were like that next tier team, but it was UNC, UCLA, huge drop everyone else and it is interesting to note again you get cam mora back here and mora is always someone who's had success in these individual fall events she's got an interesting matchup one of the few rostered players on florida state petra Huel. uh she's going to play first round that's always an interesting interconference matchup i'm excited for alexa noel against vicky who of Absolutely. princeton i think that should be an exciting one and obviously for ayana ackley of south carolina to draw irana contos uh, arena contos cmares that sucks for both players. That's just an unfortunate draw. It's great for us fans. Like, that is certainly one to keep an eye on. But, again, if those are the first-round matches you're watching most closely, who are the seeds you have on upset alert? We've got eight of them. You look at the section. I consider an upset, obviously, prior to the quarterfinal round. Who you think of these top eight seeds the least likely to make quarterfinals? Mm, okay, so I had a different definition of upset alert, but uh... – Give me your it's, definition. I, I'm curious. We're still feeling I, each other out here. This is good. This is part of the I, learning process. I, I was going first round. Who okay. was on upset a lot for that first round? And honestly, thinking too any, small. Big potatoes here. Come on. But here, but here's the reason why. I think it's anyone but Hamner and Forbes. I think every other seed in this in this draw is you know has a tough first round match that they could lose. I think you're being generous that you threw Hamner in that group because again if you go by my definition yes she should beat Elsa Tamise uh, Tamise I apologize mm-hmm. if I'm butchering that but by my definition she plays the winner of Collins and Ewing that is yeah. no cakewalk that is a yeah. brutal round of 16 matchup in yeah. terms of first round upset alerts where are you? So there are two things you're going to hear in our college contender series. Jay and I debate fiercely. One of them will be Stanford down the road. And I agree with you. Khan Ima, Yepafanova have their opponents on upset alert. And, you know, I am very high on Stanford this season, as we discussed when we were coming up with our preseason top tens. I think ceiling wise, they are maybe the one team that can match Pepperdine down the home stretch of the season. I know, uh, and Texas, I should say. And I know that's a bull take. And third team that we're going to remain nameless because I think that's our big <laughs> surprise of the, you like that you like that you leave one little sneak peek in there one little tease but um yeah I I just you know Georgia is it is the other team you and I d- disagree about I still need to get you know I, I need to do more research into Georgia I am not as high on them this season you think Lisa Zar's an upset alert because obviously Zar lost what once 
last season, and she's been so good here uh, in the fall as well. Was you know played an exceptional regional to earn, I believe, the title there. Four seed feels strong for someone who might not even play top four in her lineup. At the same time, <laughs> right. like you could say that about Cam Mora last year or however many years ago. Was it Mora who made the final and not Graham at last year's ITA National? That actually might have been it. Anyway, because she got that top ten ranking, and I, it must have been off of some false success. Anyways, not to pull, throw us aside, is Zara an upset alert? Like, is she? So. I'm I'm excited that you're broadcasting this event because I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me to watch Mel Riasco of Georgia play. Okay. Um, she is just flying back from making the semifinals of a 25K in somewhere in South America. Mm-hmm. Um, and she hasn't really lost a ton of matches and she has had some pro success. And to me, in the same way that like Connie Ma, Yepifin, well, Connie Ma and Yepifanova were biased because we know them from the, their U.S. junior days. Um, so we know kind of their their success. But Riasco, to me, is a huge question mark. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have Zara on, on upset alert because I don't know what the ceiling is of Riasco. Um, but I'm excited to find out. And I think there are a lot of matches in here, almost more on the men's side, that to me are going to tell us a lot about the strength of the team. Uh, and this Riasco debut, if you will, on kind of the national stage in college tennis, I think is going to be one of those um, benchmarks for how good this Georgia team can be. What do you know about two seed Daria Freeman of Princeton? She was not, you know, one of the players who made, I believe, quarterfinals or better at the ITA All Americans. Obviously, she gets in here the hard way through the regional. What, what do you know about her? And again, it's a Princeton team. I was talking with the GOAT, Colette Lewis. She said, Alex, yeah, I shared our list with her. She said, Alex, do not sleep on Princeton. Yeah, you had mentioned that when we were chatting, and I, I have to agree. Um, as I went back and I was looking, particularly when Freeman beat uh, Victoria Hugh in the mm-hmm. final of the regional, I was like, let me let me un- uh, uh, unpack this a little bit more. And if we can move on to Dark Horse candidates, yeah, let's she's do absolutely... It. A dark horse. Candidate. Nothing better I, than a natural set. You, can I just say you get this? I've, I've listened to too many, um, <laughs> and I learned from the best. You know, yeah. Chris. Thank you. Um, yeah. What can I say? Chris it, is pretty good. It, it's hard. It's hard to have her as a dark horse because she's seated number two here. Um, but she's seated number two on the back of her being ten and two this fall. Um, I mean, so she has not played essentially a match a competitive match since that spring season of 2020 uh she went and finished like Roland Garros uh juniors in 2020 and then nothing until this fall so she's 10 and 2 um she has wins over Subash Mora Jada Daniel of NC State and obviously her teammate Victoria Hugh in the regionals um her two losses are to Lainey Sleeth of Oklahoma and to Aaron Cayetano of USC so she has skyrocketed up in terms of UTR, in terms of looking at who she's beaten. And that's where she's kind of gotten this number two seed. Um, so that's another one that is, is a dark horse for me and one that I'm very curious to see play because we haven't seen any of her uh, essentially in college tennis. We only got kind of the, the two or three months um, in the spring of 2020, which was her first year. And it's a fascinating section for her because she's got UVA's Travinsky in the first yep. round, and we're still trying to figure out what Travinsky looks like here in college tennis. You've got, you know, in the section above her, Crawley, Ma, Han. That would be a brutal quarterfinal matchup regardless, you know, not to disrespect Sophia Carrington, by the way, of LSU, but, you know, you assume Fiona Crawley gets through that first round. I, I really do 
agree with you. And we, I don't know if we were on mic, off mic. I think we were on here at this point. See, all the conversations blend together. <laughs> uh, but for Fiona Crawley, I think this is where she reminds everyone, no, 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 no. I was undefeated last year. You guys know I didn't lose, right? I, I don't lose college tennis matches. Um, I do think this is a big opportunity for her. And, you know, again, with that in mind, you do talk about some of the other, uh, you know, dark horse candidates, I suppose, to do success uh, in this tournament. I feel like Freeman is a dark horse, like quietly as the number two C. We just haven't talked much about her and the success she's had. But I think Riasco is a good pick as well. Yep. I, I don't think Crawley or Kanto Siamers, even though they're unseated, count. Uh, because I just feel like that's kind of cheating. I don't think Kylie Collins counts either. No. I do wonder, because Cam Nord did not have a good NCAA tournament last year. Let's be clear. And obviously she was a little bit banged up during that NCAA tournament run and you know was dealing with a couple of injuries. And we never talk about injuries during the course of matches because everyone's injured by the time you hit May. But she definitely was banged up, and you could tell as that tournament went on. It does feel like, again, for North Carolina to be elite this season, to compete with Texas, to compete with Pepperdine, she has to be the Cam Mora of last fall. She has to be the Cam Cam Mora of 2020. And I think it's ditto, by the way, for Elizabeth Scotty, who we see uh, in the doubles draw as well playing in this event. And, you know, it is nice after so few Tar Heels in uh, the All-Americans to have Mora, to have uh, uh, Crawley, to have Riley Tran, who, by the way, also undefeated last season. Like, you get two undefeated players moving up to replace those Graham and Davitella spots. No one can replace them, but you get what I'm saying. I think all the UNC players are dark horses. I would put them on the list. I would put Freeman on the list as well, the only number two-seeded dark horse in history. (laughs) And then obviously, you know, I'm on the Epifanova, Connie Ma bandwagon. If one of the Stanford players makes a semifinal, it should shock no one. Agreed. I've got one more dark horse horse for you. Um, Abby Forbes, the quietest one seed in history. I'm so – Abby Forbes is also on the list of just loving and kind human beings. And I just like to mention this every time we talk about Abby Forbes. She's – 1A on that list. She's never not smiled and been like, hey, Alex, how are you? And I don't deserve that sort of kindness. Uh, and she's just exceptionally kind. And we haven't talked about her as the top seed, which, you know, again, who could be due for a season where it's just kind of like, no, 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 I figured this out. Now it's time for me to dominate all of you. Abby Forbes checks off a lot of boxes in that category. Yeah, she absolutely does. And, you know, it's just because she's had a, fall, a quiet fall season, right? Bowed out early in, um, in All-Americans to Patch Kaleva. Um, you know, we just haven't seen a, a ton from her. So it's great to see her. She got, I think she got the wild card in, mm-hmm. in here. Um, so it'll be good to see kind of what, what her form is at. Um, and note to all the players listening, you just got to smile at Gruskin and you'll get a nice uh, <laughs> nice uh, section on the pod. Without um, que- especially in the, in the COVID era, like, goes without saying we had a, I did an interview with a coach sorry to cut you off I don't want to give a spoiler who that coach was but that coach quoted a tweet of mine to me and I was like coach coach you know how to get into my suit spot you know how to butter me up well done anyways go on my last dark horse um is Cozy Reva I hope I'm pronouncing that right of uh, of St. Mary's so Good call um, have not seen much of her on the collegiate circuit um, really over the last few years. I mean, COVID really cut their season short. Obviously, St. Mary's isn't a team that we we saw at NCAAs, um, but she's had some really strong ITF results in the fall. Uh, so she made the second round 
uh, at a 25K recently where she qualified. She beat Charlotte Shabbat upon, um, and then she qualified and made the won her first round at the 60K in Berkeley, beating in top 100 player um, Sai Sai Zhang. So that was a really awesome win. Um, and then she lost to Emma Navarro there. So not much on the, the college scene, um, but really strong pro results. So I'm very curious to see how that translates to uh, to this tournament. And it's just good to see her competing against, um, you know, national national uh, competition. She's lost to Connie Ma twice in the last uh, last month. So I'll be really curious to see how she stacks up. Yeah. And again, when you look at this event, the history of it, uh, so often this does, you win this event, you just have momentum on your side entering this season. You think about some of the stories on the men's side. You know, Somdev wins this in 2007. Well, we know what he goes on to do in 2008. This was part of his streak as well. And then, you know, Stevie wins it in 09. 2010, 2011, newsflash, he doesn't lose. And, you know, the Frank titles, the, then Hrisokos wins this in 2018. And then, elevates himself is the guy in 2019 in college tennis the way he willed that wake forest team he bots or goyo uh to the final of the ita national indoors in 2019 i will never forget uh that sort of moment but i always love a saint mary's drop and by the way on the women's side we already made the case for Jokic uh in the past for davitella as well francesca di lorenzo won this event back to back but by the way saint mary's they know their way around the ITA Fall National. Damon Caceres, 2019 finalist, loses in 3-2. Yuya Ito uh, in that national championship. So I like that call. I, it's a good call, and it was an excuse for me to bring that fact up. So, again, with all that set. in mind, predictions. Who's making the final? Who you got winning the title? I have... Daria Freeman of Princeton beating Kylie Collins in the final. Ah, that's that's perfectly spicy. Make the case quickly. Um, super. Imp- uh, this seems to be a player who is is training back full time. She's starting to get a lot of wins. Haven't seen much of her. Think she's going to continue to improve over the fall. Kylie Collins, I'm I'm high on. Although she does feel like a player where when you're high on her, maybe the results aren't there, and when you're not expecting it, the results are there. She's coming off a 25k, her first ever semifinal where she beat former doubles partner Lulu Sun. She also beat, um, who else did she beat in that run? Someone else really good. Um, yeah. Plenty of good players. Though. Plenty of I good players. Semifinals of a 25K is legit. Yep. Alicia Bolton. Yeah. There it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's my take. And look, I'm, I'm looking for some chaos. Three of the four All-American semifinalists were qualifiers. I'm expecting some some funky things to happen. Um, and that's my that's my hot take. This was stupid, and this is Dark Horse number nine, and at this point I've named half the draw. Natasha Subash, who plays Riley Tran in the first round. How she's unseated, she's been so excellent in her first two seasons or season and a half of college tennis. That's another Dark Horse pick. I'm doubling down on the Crawley take. Give me Crawley to emerge out of the bottom half. I think she takes on Abby Forbes, who reminds all of us just how good she is, and a Crawley-Forbes matchup in the final would be perfectly appealing for us on the broadcast as well. I'm going to go Forbes with the title. And by the way, that's not because of the smile and the hello. I (laughs) I do think Abby Forbes is that good. You see the serve, the physicality she can play with. I also just the bitter taste in her mouth from that Cerebus Tormo. Uh, Cerebus Tormo. See, that's how Peri, uh, Perez Somariba. There it is. That's I'm back in college mode in the Perez Somariba match last yeah. year at NCAA's. And the loss to Pepperdine. Yeah, sour taste in the mouth. Yeah. I think that's why she's playing this event. And I do think she emerges with the title. Again, I'll take her over Crawley in the final. I do think 
It's going to be an exciting uh, and uh, ITA Fall National Championships, though. National Fall Championships. See, I did it right there. In women's singles. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With that said, let's transition now and talk about the men. And obviously, you mentioned this already. You look at the men's draw. The first rounds aren't quite as appealing, I would say. Not not quite the degree of spice as we have on the women's side. But again, none of the top 10 men. In the field here, no Draxel, no Kingsley, no Boyton. They're all playing pro events this week. Again, you can further you can go further. Duarte Bali's not playing. He's playing pro events. No Sam Riffis, who's just not playing, period, here this week. You got a bunch of other guys who would have been in consideration, and yet there's still some juice, right? And mm-hmm. I let you go first with the women. I'm gonna steal the thunder here for the men. Okay. I think there's two you point to. And I think honestly, these are the two. If you, if you want to throw Reynolds Trotter in there as an honorable mention and Diallo versus Elafia Aini as an honorable mention as well, I'll listen to those. But for me, it's Tracy versus Aguilar and it's Holmgren versus the Doc, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg. Those are my two. It's like those are the ones I will be watching most closely tomorrow during this event. Which, by the way, I completely – I knew it. Oh, actually, let me look for the women to see if I'm wrong. Nope. Everything starts at 9 a.m. So, of course, we're going to have to move our broadcast back an hour. Westoff will be super excited about that. Leave all of this in, Westoff. Uh, this is my – by the way, him telling – me telling him when he goes back to do the edits, he'll be like, oh, you f- <laughs> um, But anyways, all of that said – your most interesting first round matchups are those the two you're watching when you have your eye on you saw my tweet uh, uh jvds uh versus holmgren absolutely on the list tracy aguilar absolutely on the list um so those are the two uh the two other ones i'm i wouldn't say are like the spicy first rounds but ones i'm in- in- intrigued about um is westfall versus Fenlaw. i think that's one that's going to tell us about how good this columbia team can be and then dostanich musatelli of kentucky the reason being, um, that's another one where I think, how good is this Kentucky team? I think this match will tell us. Um, and I'm curious to see how Dostinich is. He had to retire in the ITA regionals with, I believe, an ankle injury. Um, it was good to see that he's uh, he's he's playing here, so it means he's at least somewhat healthy. But um, we'll see how well he can rebound from that ankle injury. I hope he hears this on the podcast because I would say this to his face. I'd say this to Coach Macy's face. We were playing around with the streams, just trying to make sure our broadcast worked. And as we were playing around, who was on the practice court we were watching? Stefan Dostinich and the USC Trojans. They looked good. He looked healthy. Okay. The, the ankle looked fine. And again, this is an unofficial reading of the tea leaves, but I'm pretty sure that was – I mean, you can recognize Stefan Dostinich, and I've said this before. It's irrelevant to you listeners because you don't know him. I have a roommate from college, this guy named Blake Ahadi. I suppose you can look him up, and at this point you can find anyone. He's literally the skinnier, unathletic version of this Donick. And I, and I told him that before, and he and I sent him a photo, and he goes, you know what, I'll take it. He's like, not bad. <laughs> He's like, fine, I'll take that comparison. Yeah, um, not bad. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a good call uh, on West Paul Law, by the way. I got the chance to see West Paul down in Knoxville, and I think any repetition to see a Columbia player, whether it's West Paul, whether it's Kotzen, just in general, after missing the Lions for the past year and a half, they just keep bringing in top five recruiting class after top five recruiting class lost Banerjee to Stanford. We haven't talked about that yet on the show. That's a tough loss. That Huge. is, yeah. And by the way, if you threw the grapevine, it's not an indictment of Columbia. That's just Banerjee's dream school. And the moment he got that Stanford offered, he was always going to take it. And so, again, don't let that diminish what this Columbia team has brought in from a recruiting standpoint. And they've got essentially two classes of freshmen, Westfall amongst that group. Kotzen's the youngest third year in Columbia history. He's barely, you know, scratched the surface, and he's been playing pro events all the time. I think they're both interesting Alafia Aini was a guy who was one of the top recruits in the country, and when yeah. he decided to go to Cornell, it was such a fascinating decision, and now he plays a guy in Gabriel Diallo who, you know, as Draxel was the headline, but it was the progression of Diallo and Hurrion in two and three that made Kentucky Kentucky last season, and so that's a must-watch for me. And then Byler Body, just because those are two programs— I'm keeping an eye on, you know, the quietest three back-to-back-to-back NCAA finals appearances in history, the the almost dynasty that never was, we don't talk about, was the Roddick Oklahoma teams. And I've decided to switch. I think Nuno now gets the love he deserves. The most underrated player of the 2010s is Axel Axel Alvarez of Mm. Oklahoma and just what he and Guillermo, I don't want to butcher the last name, but, and, you know, Alex Galea and Spencer Papa and Andrew Harris, what that yep. nucleus was able to do over three years, they willed that team to three straight NCAA finals. And now, you know, Oklahoma's an afterthought in the Big 12, and they're SEC bound. Let's be clear. It, things do not get easier for them moving forward. And just, you know, we were talking about this, like, you know, Mason Byler's the guy now for that team and you know again he's taken on a Taha body who made the final of the regional and it's looking to be a bounce back year for Wake Forest and you never want to sleep on Tony Bresky team who always have another recruit in the pipeline and still have plenty of talent assembled on campus it would just be nice for either program to get a quarterfinal from Byler from body build some momentum heading into the dual match season and I that's why I think just from a from a program standpoint, body byler is interesting. Yep. It's interesting. It feels like a lot of these matchups are much more about the program than it yeah. is for the individual players on the men's side, um, which is timely uh, as we do all of our, you know, calls. How about Zang Votzel? I, mean, I always get in trouble when I bring up Duke, so I'm not going to say too much here, but like, boy, did Duke need that win from Andrew Zang. Boy, yeah. does that feel good for a Duke program that has not had much to celebrate over the past few seasons. They're celebrating the win. And by the way, Andrew Zhang from my hometown, Ghost Sports Club West Bloomfield, Andrew Zhang, a guy who, yeah, you know, I've known him since he was a pipsqueak um, and gets the victory. That's awesome to see. That's a fun first-round matchup between he and Votzel because yeah. Zhang makes every match he plays physical. But, you know, again, boy, did they need that. Yeah, that was huge. And that came as a surprise. So really good to see see duke back in the in the conversation and now you see why i get in trouble whenever i bring them up because (laughs) that's a program i have very strong feelings about but nevertheless let's get into it four questions again 
best first round matchups we've hit let's talk about the seeds on upset alert and given there are no top 10 uh, players in the draw you could argue every seeds on upset alert again do we know much about clement chittick uh, of w- w- washington before the start of this fall season not particularly he's been exceptional and you know arthur ferry was a guy we'd all circled to be the impact freshman of 2022 we just didn't get to see much of an impact for anything from stanford given they just didn't get to play that frequently throughout the course of the year you know, we get to see Iligan from Hawaii get to step up after a return performance for him at the National Indoors. Can Holmgren, Tracy keep up their success of late? Who are the seeds you have on upset alert? My definition or your definition? So I'll, I'll continue with mine because it feels like the reverse of the women's side. For where I feel almost all the seeds are on upset alert, I don't really have many of these guys on upset alert other than the kind of hot first-round matches we've already discussed. Obviously, Tracy Aguilar feels like a toss-up, so that has to be, you know, upset alert. Holmgren, Schulenberg, that's going to be a great match, so got to put that on upset alert. Other than that, you kind of mentioned Diallo, maybe. He's had such a good fall, though. He seems to be playing really well. I would feel really confident in in most of these seeds advancing to at least the second round, with the exception um, of I had uh, Dostinich as an asterisk, but based on some insider reporting I just got on the pod, it sounds <laughs> like uh, he's playing pretty easy. He's, he's looking good. So I don't think there's that many upset alerts here. I agree with you. I mean, Aguilar-Tracy isn't an upset if Aguilar wins. That's just a good match. I think yeah. I think if the Doc beats Holmgren, that is an upset. That's like upset. I, I yeah. would qualify that one. But I don't have him on upset alert. Is Aini over Diallo an upset? Like, is it? We just haven't seen Elafia play in such a long time because obviously there was no Cornell last season. Right. So like but that makes it an upset, right? Okay, that's fair. Zango for Votso, would that be an upset? That'd be a huge upset. Okay, then those are the seeds I have on upset alert. <laughs> There's your answer <laughs> right. for you. But on the flip side, dark horses who could have success at this event again. Yeah. Arthur Ferry might be a dark horse as the number two seed. While also being overseeded, he might be the dark horse. We saw the success he had on the pro circuit. I've mentioned the guys, obviously, Vander Schulenberg, and uh, I think is primed for a big year. Certainly, Virginia needs him to have a big year given they're down Carl Soderlund. Someone's got to step up into that number one singles position. I mean, yeah, any Baylor Bear is inherently a dark horse. Sven La, sure, dark horse in this event. Andres Martin of Georgia Tech, I would argue, is a dark horse as well. Am I missing any names? Any guys I'm forgetting about? Yeah, so I, I tried to go with the darker dark horses here. Um, <laughs> uh, Andres Martin was one I had had, um, had flagged. Um, He's If you're a tennis hipster as it relates to college tennis, Andres Martin is who you're rooting for. He's the college tennis hipster take. <laughs> I think that's a good take. Um, You know, he's had a good fall. He beat Parallax. He's beaten Henning. um, He's beaten Hildebrand. Um, You know, he's, he's playing some good tennis. Um, And then the other one is actually Hildebrand as well. Um, He was, he beat Shelton out of the gate. You know, I think it was Shelton's first match of the fall college season. Uh, He lost to Hildebrand. Hildebrand lost to Rodriguez seven, six in the third in one of the early fall events. Um, Obviously had good success in the regional to get into the tournament. Um, so I have him as, as a dark horse as well. I had a theory, and I shared it with Chris earlier this week. I think it was my birthday gift to him, that the conversation between the Sheltons this past week went something like, look, Ben, you know I love you. If you go and play the ITL uh, National Fall event, you're going to win it. If you win the National Fall event, I have to play you at one singles. 
I really don't want to play you at one single. So do you mind sitting this one out? And Ben was like, yeah, that's fine. I can sit one out. No worries. I'll just go play a pro event the week after instead. Over under 15% chance some version of that conversation happened. I think it's higher. <laughs> <laughs> because some some conversation had to happen, um, hmm. you know, for why you're, why you're pulling out. So, um, and honestly... It makes this event more exciting without him um, because then we'd be talking about how, okay, well, Shelton is the favorite. And he's and on the kind chase. Of See, else. I disagree. I love the chase of the history. And you sweep the event. Now you've got some special things in line during the course of the year. And obviously, yeah, I come from the Virginia School of Thought. You know, I want to see Frank, the Frank sweeps. The sweep everything. Yeah, the yeah. Jameer Jenkins. Yeah, I'm talking to a fellow who here. So I know you know what I'm talking about. But yeah. I don't know. I that's fair. It's so funny. We've gone 180 here. We start out. How do we incentivize getting these players to play this event? And now it's. I actually kind of am happy. Shelton's not playing the event, Jay. Well, if it was just Shelton, right? Okay, I, sure. I want. I, you know, I would want. Uh, you know, Shelton, Vale, Draxel, Rodriguez, right? The Riffis, whole, whole et cetera, exactly. Yeah. Um, so if it was just Shelton, we'd be looking at basically the same tournament we played in Tulsa, mm-hmm. um, and we saw how that played out. So. I think it's, it's, you know, it's fine that he's not here. Um, Some other notable but, absences, by the way, no Tennessee players, no Walton, no Monday, yeah. no HUD even, who's had a really nice fall overall. Uh, Mitsui, obviously, a little bit short in the regional, but I mean, they're going to, no one denies their top five team. And yet again, no representation here, really nothing too outstanding at the All-American either. Is it because of the Knoxville Challenger? Maybe. Is that what? Does that start Sunday? Yeah. So then, it's next coming week. So if they get qualifying wild cards, main draw wild cards, you know. Then yes, that um, is likely why. I also found out, you know, there's no AC in the indoors at Tennessee? No. I didn't know that for the longest time. And I was like, are you guys insane? And they're like, no, please, can't stand the heat. Get out the kitchen. I was like, or it's 2021. Like, you've got to don't, you know. Chris Woodruff made enough finals to afford an AC unit. Like, come on, he can he can pony up for that. But they're like, no, there's they're like, no, it's part of our toughness. If you can't handle it, this is why we are who we are. I just thought it was fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've only experienced the the luxury of uh, AC indoor units. So yeah, I, can't, exactly. I don't no, know. What I, that I can confirm like. it's hot. <laughs> it is absolutely hot in there. There's no doubt about that. But that's a good call. That's very likely why they are not there. Uh, again. Dark Horses, Kotzen, Columbia, Collision yep. Course, top of the ATA rankings. You know my thoughts on him. Andrew Rogers has been sneaky good for Pepperdine this season. It just feels like, you know, again, McLean, Chittick, we don't know everything about Chittick yet. Should there be an early upset there? Perhaps Rogers is the guy to pull it off. I don't know. James Trotter either looks like the best player in the world or the worst player in the world. It really depends on a given tournament, so I'll throw him in the mix as well. I think we've hit all the dark horses, right? Yeah, we've mentioned every non-seed. Yeah. And even, the, even the seeds are categorized as Jordan Hassan? Should we talk about Jordan Hassan a little bit? I, as well? <laughs> I was going to say, at least Oklahoma has two players. You mentioned Baylor um, or Byler. Um, you know, they got two. So. I can say this. I do not have any sort of take about CSU's Alvaro Regalado. I don't have a single take about him. I'm looking forward to seeing him compete this weekend. So Nice to have some diversity in the tournament. Absolutely. Shout out to the non-Power 5 schools. With that said, predictions. Give them to me, Jay. Who's coming home with the title? Who's making the final? So uh, we differ on Chittick. Um, okay. 
I've been super impressed with his summer results in particular. Um, I was not aware of them at the time, but in going back and reflecting on them, <laughs> very impressive summer. Uh, it's why he's seated number one here. So I have a repeat of the Northwest regional final of Chittick versus Ferry. So pretty chalk with the one, two seeds and I have Chittick taking home the title. That's creative. That's good. I had three versus four initially. I had Holmgren versus Destonic, and I was like, eh, be better than that, Alex. I'm going to stick with yeah. Steph. You guys know, I think, again, if USC is going to be a top 10 team, they need Destonic to be a top 10 player. They probably need him to be better than that as well. They need him to take over the Kukerman role. They need him to take over, I don't want to say the Stevie role because no one's going to ever replace Stevie, but even in the years yeah. after that, they had Yannick, right? Yannick Hoffman's jumped as a solidified number one player. That's what helped carry them. The passing shot on the run forehand tiebreaker he hit against Alex Damajan on match point, that swung the semifinal match. It did, and so you need that guy. I think Dostanich has all of the tools to be that guy. I think the draw opens up well for him. Also, if the ankle is healthy, he will have the opportunity to put himself in the final who he's going to match up with is tough. I think the top half of the draw is the more loaded section. Yep. Holmgren's been so excellent. We're in San Diego. It's on his home turf. Boy, would it be cool for that San Diego program to get a title at the Barnes Tennis Center in front of some home people. I'm rooting for the narrative. Do I want to go through? You go 1-2, I go 3-4. I'm doubling down. Give me Kotzen. A Kotzen Dostinik final. I'm I'm just gonna own the take. I do. I the guy's a scrapper. He claws. He fights his way through. And I know he was playing a pro event literally three days ago. Shout out to Jay tweets tennis tweets. Um, but not even three days ago. Yeah, I just there's always something funky that happens. He's gonna lose his first round matchup now. Give me Kotzen. I'm gonna give him the Gruskin stink. I'm gonna take him to make the final. I think he beats Holmgren in the semis in a tight three setter. And then I just think Steph wins the title. I think this is the Dostinic reminder of, yeah, if the top 10 guys aren't going to be here, I'm going to remind you all that I'm the best of the rest. And I think this helps him from a ranking standpoint moving forward as well. I'll take Dostinic. Yeah, over home, uh, over, excuse me, Kotzen. And by the way, Chris Helioris, I called him. I was like, give me your take. And he goes, I'll take Dostinic. And I was like, no, I'm taking him. Try again. And he goes, no, I'm taking him too. And I was like, all right. This is not, that means he's definitely not winning. Um, but that's where we're at with the singles. And again, it should be an exciting four days of action in the men's singles competition. We're also going to quickly run through the doubles action. And again, not quite rapid fire, but we'll do this a little bit more quickly here. Let's start uh, with the women's doubles. And of course, you have your ITA All-Americans here in the field, the duo of Berlin and Killingsworth of Wake Forest. You've got uh, the, I, I believe, uh, the Old Dominion duo, Sasnakaya uh, and Sara Dubseva are the number three seeds here. Do we have the number two seeds pull out, if memory uh, serves me correct here? Or are we just missing a seed, Makarova and Goldsmith not labeled in the draw but they are your number two seeds i think it's the latter right? i think it's the latter labeled. yeah they're not labeled yeah because they are they are that good Let's yeah they're good they're, yeah. they're good <laughs> and so you know those are your top two seeds it was notable you know for pepperdine how well they did in doubles at the all-american you see czar and flores your number yep. five seeds uh of course you look you've got crawley and scotty as your number four seeds we know scotty and mora together mora uh, i believe partnering in this event uh with i'm going to butcher the pronunciation but tanjuling uh, Tanjulig, Tanjulig, we'll go with that, uh, okay. of UNC. And again, any of you coaches listening, feel free to message me corrections throughout the course of the day. Rapid fire takes. First round matches, dark horses, 
seeds, predictions. Floor is yours. So uh, it's a bummer for Crawley and Scotty and Colin Shavathapan to be in the same quarter, uh, four and six seed. Very interesting. You have Scotty and Collins who played each other in the uh, NCAA final. Now they're with different partners. I'm going to take whoever gets out of that section as the winner. Um, I think they're going to be carried by the experience. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they play with their with their new partners. Um, so that's my take. Um, you know, I think the top half of the draw is stronger. Um, I'd love to see the ODU team continue to do well. Um, and then Makarova Goldsmith at the bottom. It's a really interesting matchup for me. That first round matchup with them versus Kanto Seamers and Ratliff. Mm-hmm. That's one of my my first round matches. Um, so yeah, uh, those are those are my takes with the doubles, which is always you know. But always a crapshoot. You know, weird stuff is going to happen exactly. in this draw. <laughs> no, I think it's fascinating. I think Briggs and Zane of Florida versus Alsola and Richardson of Cal. Again, talking yep. about programs, that's a fascinating matchup. I think Subash and Munera are the dark horse pick. Just Natasha Subash is a baller. Again, in yeah. doubles, the returns, the aggressiveness she plays with, she's got the hands. I always see her, it feels like at two doubles, but every doubles match I've seen her play dating back to the National Indoors, it always felt like she was the best player on the court, that she has that feel around her where she can control all of the chess pieces in doubles. So I like that team a lot. She has incredible angles yeah. on the on the ground strokes. <laughs> Even in singles, you see it. You're like, I don't know how she hit that. Um, and she went far in the NCAA single uh, doubles tournament as well. Um, mm-hmm. So she, she's a really great doubles player. So that's a good pick. Mon Blake's another dark horse team. Unseated Connie Ma. Danger. More just like a question mark team. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, that's a good one. <laughs> so they could definitely go on the run here. Mm-hmm. Who knows? And by the way, we always give shout out to six, the sisters, I believe the Kanete sisters, uh, who for UCO, they end up in the draw here first round matchup uh, against the number seven seeds. That said, predictions, who you got? Give me overall winner, straight up pick on the spot. Colin Shavathapan. <sighs> that's a good pick. I was thinking of leaning that way. I mean, Vicky Flores is so good at doubles. And Lisa's – that's just an interesting pairing, though, because Flores and Jones were so aggressive. And I think the bet here, if your coach, uh, Perrin Nilsson, or you know, Coach uh, Billingham is dead, the Flores aggression will trickle over to Lisa Czar. But I think things are going to get funky here. I really want to pick Subash Munera. Like, I really want to pick that team to win this event. I'll take them over Scotty and Crawley in the final. I'm all in on Crawley. I'm really doubling down on the Crawley takes here. But by the way, Ewing and Han, that's a pretty nice duo as well for USC. Unseated, I could see them making a run to the semifinals. That's your action on the women's side. Let's talk Ben's doubles. Same deal. Give me the rundown. What are you watching most closely? So a few things on the men's doubles side. Um, you know, what caught my eye immediately, obviously, Votzel and Cash are, are seated one after their All-American run. Potential second round against J.J. Mercer, who's now with Kentucky, um, another really good doubles player. So that caught my eye. Um, Sven Law and Bass of Baylor, I think, could have a deep run. Um, Bass has been really solid in doubles for as long as I can remember. And now with his recent singles run, and he's starting to play really well. Um, one thing to call out, Elliot Spaziri is in the draw, and we have mm-hmm. not seen Spaziri play a single match since his U.S. Open qualifying run. So really happy to see that. He and Waldeeb were, were a really good doubles team um, last year, so curious to see how that works. Um, and then my – I'll just go full champion on you here. Um, <laughs> I I have Martin, Mc, uh, Martin and McDaniel winning um, – 
Ooh, overall. That's a, no, that's a good take. I like that one. Yep. I'm fascinated to see Logan Zapp and Kanaya. I, I'm you know, big Logan Zapp fan, big Tar Heel fan. That he wasn't the freshman they thought he could be last season is ultimately why they came up a little bit short. They were one piece short. They needed one more guy, the depth of the lineup with all of the injuries they had, just one more singles contributor at yep. number six. We thought it might be Zapp. He wasn't quite ready to step into that role last season. He's into the ITA All-American here. I'm watching him closely, yep. uh, even if he's competing only in doubles at this event. You're right. Spaziri, wall deep, dark horses. And they're going to test Trotter and Boulay. We're going to see how real that duo success is. They've got a tricky first round match against Harvard as well. You know I'm watching Fenty and Aaron Schneider closely in a matchup with them against Pavel and, and Hildebrand potentially in round number two would be yep. no uh, easy task. You know, again, looking up and down the draw, Law, Bass, that's, a, you know, Sven Law has been a number one doubles player in the country before. I think that team is extraordinarily dangerous. They are a dark horse pick as well. In fact, I'm going to go double unseeded team. I'm going to go a Bass Law reaching the final, and I think they are going to take on the duo of Spaziri and Waldeep. And in the end, or do I go Fenty and Aaron Schneider and just go total homer pick here? Oh, it would be nice to go homer pick here. No, I'll take Spaziri and Waldeep. I think they're that good. I just, I like them to just remind everyone hey, Texas is here to play this season. And so. That's my dark horse pick, despite the lack of rhythm they entered this event with. And by the way, Cam uh, Alexa Graham last year beats Leahy, beats Forbes on the way to the title at the National Fall Championship. So yeah, that's what Alexa Graham does. But I don't know. It feels like a good place to end today's show. Any final thoughts on these fall national championships? Any final thoughts on our broadcast this weekend? Any things you'd add? I'm excited for the broadcast. I'll try and do my best to tune in. Um, I was I would really liked your Holmgren uh, pick. Uh, in San Diego, I was going to comment. It'd be nice because that will be broadcasted, unlike his final in, <laughs> in Tulsa. Um, but I, I'm step in the right direction, right? I mean, the All Americans were were not up to par for broadcasting. They brought in the goat to do the broadcasting here. Um, no, Colette, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to get Colette to join. Colette, me. We'll see. Colette, Colette's not there. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm still look. I'm still going to beat this drum of like we can we can go we can do bet we can not better but we can continue this right like we can get this on tennis channel we can be chatting about like the full live streaming services so um i think it's it's exciting to have this broadcasted the the red zone is always my favorite um and i'm really looking forward to to what's to come in the future Awesome. Well, with that said, again, first ball to last coverage can be found on our Crack Rackets YouTube Long channel. That's half the fun. The best part is at the end of the day when Westhoff and I look at each other or I get that 9 p.m. text and he's like, what do you want for dinner? He's like, everything's about to close. Let's get food. And I'm like, oh. I love you. Um, and yeah, was, that's again, it builds camaraderie, builds friendship, builds strength. But more importantly, we all get to celebrate the year, uh, a fantastic event in the college tennis world. And there are no amount of hours that could be too many uh, for us to put in the work to help fans across the nation enjoy the event. So, of course, we hope all of you tune in throughout the course of the weekend. We're going to try our best to offer recap podcasts at the end of each day. Of course, we'll be back next week to recap all of the action as well. And I know some of you are wondering, Alex, where is the College Contender Series? Here's the issue. We have 
one missing component for our number 10 men's and women's uh, additions. For the number 10 men, it's because Chris and Matt have been busy. We haven't had the opportunity to record our GSP. For the number 10 women, I'm going to be honest, I've texted the coach three times. They've yet to respond to any of them. You know who you are if you haven't responded, so please do respond so we can get that interview going. We can get this series rocking and rolling. I am never too shameful, uh, shameless too shameless there's not enough shame in the world i'll say to prevent the public call out so again i'll just say it melissa shaw call me back please i want to get you on the podcast call me back and if you see her at the itas this weekend just give her a little nudge and say hey gruskin says call you back um but with all of that said uh, of course as always first ball last cracked rackets youtube channel all of our coverage available on the website crackedrackets.com like rate subscribe review this show mini break podcast crack uh, interviews podcast as well so you don't miss any of our coverage of course more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. You want to message Jay directly at Jay Tweets Tennis? Uh, but of course, shout out as always to the super producers Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. With all of that said, here comes the debut, Jay, for our fantastic contributor, John Parsons, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Boo.